us together to the book of Judges. The book of Judges is in the Old Testament. We're in the seventh book of the Bible. We made it through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. And uh, studied the book of Joshua, who was Moses' successor last week, as he stepped into the leading role and led the children of Israel finally into the promised land. And that was something that Moses was not able to do because of his disobedience. But God used Moses in a powerful, powerful way. And it was time for, for the next leaders to step on the scene. And Joshua led the people into the land. And the book of Joshua is full of victories and conquests and successes in the people of God receiving all the promises that God had given to his people. Now, the book of Judges, as we move into this book this morning, is an important historical book in the Old Testament, and it's full of extremely colorful characters. Um, and by colorful, I mean not really in a good way. And there are a ton of memorable stories, again, not really in a good way. There are some very disturbing things in the book of Judges, and I want to remind you that just because God records something in his word, it does not mean that he approves of it. Many of these things are written for us to learn from in a negative way. We're supposed to learn by someone's negative example. So as we look at this, the book is only 21 chapters long, but it covers a period of history in Israel approximately 350 years or 25 percent of the period that is described in the Old Testament. So we cover a significant period of time in this book. Judges is an extremely honest book. This book deals with some things that are very difficult with the sin of the people of Israel and the consequences that come from their sin. And because Judges is so honest, it is a scandalous book. It is full of all sorts of sexual sin, all sorts of violence that would make the writers of a Hollywood movie blush. And that's not easy to do. We're going to also see that even though it is a very dark book full of disobedience and sin, the book of Judges is a book of hope because it constantly points the readers to look for a better judge, to look for a better leader, and to ultimately look for the better king, who is Jesus himself. So I want us to look at the downward spiral in the book of Judges. You have to understand this to understand what is happening in this book. Over and over again in the book of Judges, this constant cycle is running. And as you read through this book, this pattern emerges. First of all, we see that the people are in the land that God had promised them. But in this land, they choose to fall into sin. They rebel against God. They worship idols and they become like their surrounding culture. After they fall into sin, they become slaves of their sin and God judges them. He allows an enemy nation to subjugate the people of Israel. And they again go into slavery, not only to their own sin, but also to the people that they are following in worshiping their idols. 
Then we always see in this cycle in Judges, there comes a period of sorrow for sin and repentance. And mostly this is over the consequences of their sin. We don't see a whole lot of the children of Israel or the leaders dealing with the source of the sin. It's not so much that they sinned against God. It's that God is punishing them for their sin. So as, as we look at this, we need to think about ourselves and see the same cycle in our lives. The people of Israel realize their sin and they cry out for rescue. Then God raises up a deliverer, a judge, a military leader who conquers the enemy and brings freedom back to the land of Israel. Then we see a period of peace. This oppression ends and the people experience what God had planned for them to experience. Blessing, peace, prosperity in the land. But then the cycle begins again. They fall back into sin, slavery, repentance, deliverance, peace, sin, slavery, over and over and over. We see this cycle and it just breaks your heart and you're wondering, why are they doing this? It's easy to point our fingers at them until we step back and look at our lives and realize we go through the same cycle. We go through the same disobedience. I heard it said this week, I don't know who originally said this, it's been repeated a lot of times, but they say that hard times create strong people. Strong people create good times. Good times create weak people. And weak people create hard times. And then hard times create strong people. And we see this cycle just going over and over again. And I wonder if they got that from the book of Judges, because we see this repeated over and over again. And as the book of Judges progresses, we see this cycle repeating, and fewer and fewer of the people of God, the people of Israel, God's chosen nation, His prized possession, we see fewer of them caring that they're even in slavery. There are fewer people that are even bothered by the effects of their sin. Tim Keller points out that when Othniel and Ehud, some of the first judges, rallied all of Israel to fight their oppressors, all of Israel came and answered the call. When Deborah and Barak fought the enemy, they could only take two tribes. When Gideon came, there were only 300 people that God chose to go with him. By the time we see Samson, he stands alone as the judge, giving his life, willing to fight against the oppression of God's people. And we really don't see anybody helping him. As a matter of fact, we see the Israelites coming to him, binding him, and delivering him to the Philistines. So they're joining him with the enemy of God while he's trying to deliver them. So let's look at the storyline. We see this downward, downward spiral going over and over again, but let's look at the storyline. I'm just going to cover a few of the first chapters because the same thing repeats over and over and over throughout this book. So as we start off in Judges chapter 1, 
verse 1. If you're, if you're there uh, or not there, turn over and follow along with me. We're going to be moving through chapters 1, 2, and uh, maybe just a little bit of chapter 3. But as we start off in chapter 1, verse 1, remember Joshua ended well. The people committed to follow God. Joshua commissioned them. Uh, to choose this day that you will serve and says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then in Judges chapter 1, verse 1, after the death of Joshua, people of Israel inquired of the Lord. Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. So that's a good start. We have a really good start in the first chapter, the first verse. The people go to the Lord, they inquire of the Lord, and they obey the Lord. And they're victorious. But then as we get down to verse 27, we're going to see this repeating theme that Israel does not obey the Lord. God commanded them to drive out the inhabitants of the land, to completely conquer the land. They disobeyed. Verse 27 says Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants and list all the cities they didn't drive the inhabitants out of. Verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. 31, Asher did not drive them out. 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. And the enemies of God's people persist. Chapter 2 starts out by saying this. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacchum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. This is what you have done. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept and they called the name of that place, Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. After this point in chapter two and verse 11, we see that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals, the false gods. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Of Egypt, And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the anger of the Lord. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand the enemy. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to the judges, for they hoard after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Why did this happen? 
And why does this continue to happen throughout this book? Well, look back up at verse 10. I skipped this intentionally. In verse 10, chapter 2, it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How is it possible that from one generation, when Joshua was alive, that we have a generation that does not know the Lord their God. And they did not know the works that he had done. That just tells me that the generation that did know God failed to teach the next generation. I've heard it said over and over again that we're one generation from being a pagan nation. And we're really close now. But we're one generation from Christianity being forgotten. Now we know that's not going to happen. God always has a remnant. He always raises up people. But that's why it's so, so important to plant churches. You know how many people ask me why I'm planting a church in Asheville, North Carolina? There's so many churches around here. You know how many churches are closing their doors across the nation, across the Southern Baptists, across all the denominations? It's important to continue planting churches. We can't plant them faster than they're closing. It's important to pass down the word of God to the next generation. Chapter 3 starts out that these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. So God leaves these nations that they disobeyed, refused to drive out, refused to conquer. They thought their plan was better than God. And God said, okay, this is, this is what you want. This is what you're going to get. And he allowed these nations to flourish and to test Israel. But instead of Israel overcoming and passing the test, we see Almost immediately, chapter 3, verse 6, and their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Exactly what God told them not to do. They did. And Israel contends, continues to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgetting the Lord their God. The cycle is repeated over and over. And four times we see a statement repeated in this book. Four times. This is the theme statement of this book. And the book actually closes with this statement. Judges chapter 21 verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If that does not describe our culture, I don't know what does. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. There's no king. That's the first part of this. There's no king. Israel needed a king. It was actually God's plan for them to have a king. He foretold that they would have a king. 
He actually gave rules for the kings to follow before the kings were ever established, hundreds of years before. The reason God was dishonored when Israel finally asked for a king, and we see that as a negative thing in the Bible, is because of their motives for wanting a king. God had already said there would be a king. It was going to happen, but their motives for wanting a king was that they wanted to be like the nations around them. And they were rejecting God's leadership. And when there was no leadership, we see one of the worst chapters, the worst chapter in Israel's history. So let's look at the major themes in the book of Judges. We see this cycle repeating, this downward spiral. But I want to look at the themes, because as you read through the book of Judges, you see several themes that are repeating over and over again. The first one is the search for true leadership. Leadership is incredibly important in our world. Whatever organization, whatever business, whatever church, leadership is important. Everything rises and falls on leadership. God holds leaders accountable for how they lead. And this book begins with the death of Joshua. But we don't see anybody replacing Joshua. Many leaders make this mistake. They don't raise somebody up to follow them. Moses raised up Joshua, trained Joshua, and God called him to step into this role, we don't see Joshua raising up anybody. Maybe that's a testimony against Joshua. Maybe it's a testimony against the people that were following him. Maybe he tried and was not successful. But in this lack of leadership, we see people doing what is right in their own eyes. And the longing for good leadership is throughout the book of Judges. The people actually go ask people to rule over them. They experience so much injustice, so much oppression, hunger, poverty, attacks from the enemy, that they go to men who aren't really even good men and ask them to rule over them because leadership is better than no leadership. We complain about our government. Is there anyone in this room that has not complained about our government over the past decade? Whichever party you lean towards, whoever you voted for, I promise you, we complain about the government in America. And we have the right to do that. We have the right to vote. We have the, the right to choose our leaders. And I'm thankful for that. But as we think about the leadership in this country, we can complain all day about it. But if we didn't have leadership, if we didn't have government... No matter how bad we hate government, it would be worse without government than it is. Oppression under government is better than oppression without any government. The Bible says in Romans uh, chapter 12 that God established, Romans 13, God established government. And no one steps into power without God placing them there. And God rules sovereignly over the hearts of kings. Their, their heart is like water, like the streams. In the hands of God. He directs it where he wishes. 
He uses evil kings. He uses good kings to accomplish his will. So leadership is one of the major themes that we see in this book. The other major theme, possibly the major theme in this book, is the consequences of sin. Sin is disastrous for people. We like to minimize our sin. We like to pre pretend like we're not sinning. We like to pretend that it's not that bad. But sin has consequences. Heard it said we can choose our sin, but we can't choose our consequences. The children of Israel had no idea what their disobedience would cost them. Samson chose to disobey. Disobey and it cost him his eyesight. It cost him his strength. It cost him his influence. Everything that God had blessed him with, he threw it away for sin. And as I read through this book this week, it reminded me that I can't take my own sin lightly. And I do that. We all do that. We justify it. We make excuses for it. No matter how small or how big it is, sin can destroy our lives. We see an example of the nation of Israel who's supposed to be the shining light, the city set on a hill to show all the world the glory of God. And yet, by the end of the book, you can't tell them apart from the nations that surround them. As a matter of fact, as we move forward through the kings of Israel, some of them were worse than the nations around them. Compromise and sin always has consequences. The next theme in this book is that God is gracious despite our sin. And when we repent, when we ask for forgiveness, when we turn from our sin, God is merciful, God is gracious, He is faithful even when we're unfaithful. That's the God that we serve. And the final theme that I'm going to bring up, there are probably more in this book. As you read through it, there's so many different things that are repeated over and over again. And you know we learn by repetition. But the final theme I want us to look at is that God sovereignly rules over human affairs. Our God is sovereign. Our God is on the throne. He rules and he reigns. Despite all the flaws and the failures of the judges, as you read through this book, yes, they did great things, but many of them are, most of them are incredibly flawed. I think it's interesting that the one that we don't see the flaws, the only one I believe that we don't see the flaws of is a woman, Deborah, one of the best judges. She was a prophetess and she was a judge in the land of Israel. And she marched out to battle. God gave her victory along with one of her generals, Barak. As a matter of fact, he said he would not go fight if Deborah was not there with him. And as far as we know, she was faithful to God. And there's a song that she wrote and sang that's recorded in the book of Judges. It just glorifies God. And exalts him over all the false gods, over all the enemy nations who rise up against God. So those are just a few of the things that we see in this book. Do you think this book is applicable for our day?
I believe it is. It may be one of the most applicable books that we could look at. So let's look at the application. How can we apply this to our lives? First of all, there's a cultural application. One of the major problems throughout this book is that God's people are more influenced by the surrounding culture than God and his word. How much do we want to look like the world? Be on the cutting edge. Keep up with the Joneses. We care more about the things of this world. And no offense to any Joneses in this room. But how many times do we focus on the wrong thing? This culture has raised itself against God. The society does not care about God and his word. The church of Jesus Christ should be looking to the word of God. Should be learning from the positive and negative examples in God's word. Should be led by the Holy Spirit. We should be living holy lives and we should be trying to keep ourselves separate from sin. Yet in 2023, we're facing more pressure, opposition, and backlash than any other time in our history. By studying the book of Judges, we can be reminded and encouraged to be faithful to God and to his word. When we sin, which we will, to repent and to come back to Christ, to soften our hearts, to listen to the Holy Spirit. And like Daniel and the Hebrew children, not care about what this world says about us. Not care what this culture demands that we tolerate or demands that we celebrate. We're called to be different. Another application is leadership. We need to learn how to follow leadership, and we also need to learn how to lead. We are all leaders in some areas of our lives. We all have people that we influence. None of us is an island. As a matter of fact, the better you follow leadership, the more opportunities I believe God will give you to lead. Until you learn to follow true leadership, how can you lead anybody? Yourself. And ultimately, if we want an application from the book of Judges, we need to realize that just like Israel, we need a king. We need the ultimate king. Jesus Christ himself, all other human leaders fall short. All leadership is flawed. But Jesus is the perfect king. And as we think about applying this book to our lives, we need to think about the next generation. How we're going to raise up the next generation. Do they know God? Do they know his word? Do they see something real in us that can teach them? In closing, I want us to look at the Christ connection in this book. Because we see Christ 
in the Old Testament, in every book in the Old Testament, on every page, it's pointing us to Christ. It's why it was written. And throughout the Old Testament, there is a longing for a leader that will bring the people back to what we lost in the garden. And that is where Jesus leads us. We were separated from the rest that God had given us, from the majesty as rulers over God's creation. Creation was cursed and it fights against us, but we were created to rule and to reign under God over his creation. And it fell into chaos. And we're longing for someone to take us back. Ultimately, we're longing for someone to bring us back into a right relationship with God, with ourselves, with those around us, and with creation. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his supernatural resurrection. Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be forgiven. He made it possible for us to be accepted by the Father and to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and to live lives that are holy, to live lives that are the salt of the earth, that are the light, that's a city set on a hill. Every judge, every earthly judge, Fails. Every king fails. Every prophet fails. Every priest fails until Jesus comes in the New Testament. He is the prophet, the priest, the king, and the judge that never fails. He always does what the Father commands. He alone is fit to bring humanity back to what we were created to be, into the kingdom of God. And there's coming a day when he will return to this earth to rule and to reign. We believe this. We look forward to this. Jesus is one day returning. And as we live in a world that is constantly in this cycle of disobedience, and we even see this in the church, we need to look to Christ because he is the only answer. We're commanded to share the gospel. The judges were raised up to accomplish a purpose. To bring the hearts of the people back to God. To bring them freedom and blessing. We are put here for a purpose. To point people to the true leader. To make disciples until the true judge returns. To set all things right. While what Israel or what Judges says repeatedly is true of our world. That in those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This should not be true of the church. This is not true of the church. There is a king and he is ruling and reigning on his eternal throne. And everyone should do what is right in his eyes. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this book where there's so much 
that is here to edify your people. There's so many difficult stories, so many heartbreaking stories of your people who fell so far from what you called them to be. But God, you remain faithful. You are the true leader. You raised up human leaders and used them in spite of their flaws, in spite of their failures. And you kept a people for yourself. And Lord, you did exactly what you promised. Even when your people failed to keep the covenant, you kept it and you ultimately fulfilled it in Jesus Christ when he came. And Father, we thank you so much for including us in your plan. Lord, I pray if anyone is here this morning and they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would bow their knee to King Jesus this morning and say, yes, receive the gift of eternal life that only comes through your sacrifice, through the shedding of your blood and your death and your resurrection. God, you offer it freely. And Lord, for those of us who do know you and are saved, God, please Equip us, enable us to live holy lives and make disciples, to be disciples and to make disciples. God, I pray that we would grow. Lord, I pray that you would do a special work here in this place through us. Lord, I pray that you would add to the church those who are being saved. Lord, I pray that we would see people come into the kingdom and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we would all Look more like Jesus because of what you're doing in our lives. God, may your word get into our hearts. Capture us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And may we live out the truth. May we not just speak, but may we live it out. Father, I pray that you would do a mighty work in each of our hearts. Forgive us and guide us into all truth. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.